7 through 14. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Or if you're here at all of it, United Methodist Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, our few Bibles are page 60. And I just have my sermon notes. I have my um, scripture in that. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14 this morning. And I just want to thank those who are taking care of the sound and that, especially this morning. I'm not a real big techie, so I can't be in the pulpit and running the sound system and the techie at the same time. And then also, kind of midway, we're going to have a rabbi. Rabbi is going to be sharing on some thoughts and prayers this morning, and we may have him, if we can kind of cut and paste, we're going to have him by way of radio. Many of you have been listening to 980 um, each week, um, 980. On the uh, Mondays, we always have kind of a guest come in, and a guest, that guest shares things that are on his his or her heart, and then we, um, from Olivet and Osseo and Pilgrim, we interview that guest, and I'm um, hoping that Rabbi, if we can cut and paste and get his message on one of these upcoming Mondays. And then Tuesday, we have a message from Osseo United Methodist Church, followed by Pilgrim on Wednesday, and then a Dr. Joy from um, Luther Seminary, who is a United Methodist minister. And then I bring it to a sense of closure on Fridays from 12.30 to 1 o'clock. Um, reading now from God's Word, if you found the scripture in your Bibles, Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. Then said the he here is who? Who's the he here? John the Baptist. Then said God the Baptist to the multitude that came to be baptized in him, O generation of vipers. Now, how, how would you like to be called a viper? A viper, that's not really a complimentary term. But John the Baptist was saying, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And that's where my sermon title I gather my sermon title is always from the scripture, and sermon title is Fruits Worthy of Repentance. And are you bearing those fruits that are worthy of repentance? And begin not to say within yourselves, they were trying to say, oh, oh you know, we're part of Abraham, you know, all the prophets from old. We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and he saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath not. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence. Do violence to no one. Neither accuse him when falsely, and be content 
pages. Now I'd like to get my message and following my message this morning. We're doing a little differently because we don't have music. We don't have a praise team this morning, and we're going to separate it. And I've already instructed Mike to be prepared here shortly. He's going to give kind of a response to the scripture. Then we're going to go on to um, hearing from our rabbi. Not many people can say they have a local rabbi that's a part of their congregation like we do today. You're going to hear his response, and he um, possibly is going to be sharing with us about during Holy Week, we're going to be having a, a Seder. Do you know what a Seder is? There's going to be many educational things that go on during Holy Week here at Olivet United Methodist Church. We have in these verses here a specimen. It's almost a specimen of, of John the Baptist's ministry. Now, many times during my ministry, people come along and they say, well, what do you mean by John the Baptist's ministry? Well, here we find in a portion of Scripture, which should always be especially interesting to a Christian mind, and I hope that those by way of television and radio and, and our means of communicate, communicating the word, that you have this sense of Christian mind, because the opposite of having a Christian mind is having a worldly mind. Leaning on the things of the world rather than leaning and trusting in the Holy Spirit and God. Here we find in this portion of Scripture the immense effect. The immense effect which John produced on the Jews. I wish that you and I today could say that we have an effect, effect on the world that John the Baptist was producing on the Jews. However temporal, it's very evident from many of the expressions of the Gospels that during John the Baptist's short ministry he had a deep effect upon those who listened to him. In fact, John the Baptist ended up losing his head actually going through the guillotine and you know he just lost his head because he spoke out against the sins of his time. In the remarkable testimony which our Lord bore to John Jesus Christ said of John the Baptist he was a prophet. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was a prophet greater than any born of woman. And this is well known to all strict, faithful Bible readers. And then what you may ask the question is, what is the character? What is the character of John's ministry? Now this is a question to which the chapter before us supplies a very, very practical, practical answer. We should mark first the holy boldness. You may ask yourself, do you have any sense of boldness? I know many of you could stand up for your children. You'd stand up for your grandchildren. But are you standing up for Jesus? Are you standing up for Jesus? Well, here the holy boldness which John addresses the multitudes who came to his baptism and he speaks to them as a generation of what? Generation of vipers. Vipers. And here we find that John saw the rottenness can you imagine the rottenness and the, and the hypocrisy of the profession that the crowd around him were making? And they were 
using language that was very descriptive of their case. John's head and personality and character was not turned by popularity. I wonder if you were to be honest with me and I was to be honest with you, how many of us sense the direction that we're taking because of popularity? Are we saying and doing the things because of a sense of popularity and what others are saying about us? John the Baptist cared not who was offended by his words or you um, tempted to be swayed by what others are saying of your popularity. John the Baptist cared not who was offended by his words. And the spiritual disease, the spiritual disease of those before John the Baptist was very desperate. Very desperate and long-standing. And John knew that this desperate disease need a strong remedy. Well, would it be for the Church of Jesus Christ if it possessed more plain-speaking ministers and as a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe we should have more plain, just plain-speaking ministers like John the Baptist in these latter days. A morbid dislike to strong language. <clears throat> Too many people are are swayed, swayed by possibly offending somebody and what they say, a morbid dislike for strong language and excessive fear of possibly getting a sense of offense, uh, a constant flinching from directness and plain speaking are, are unhappily too much of the characteristics of our modern-day Christian, Christian pulpit. Personality, and the unshareable language are no doubt always to be appreciated, but there is no charity in flattering, flattering unconverted people. By abstaining from any mention of their vices or in applying smooth epithets to damnable sins. There are two texts, two texts which um, are too much forgotten by Christians, and especially Christian preachers and ministers, that in one of the texts it's written, woe unto you when all will speak well of you. Are you seeking the applause of, of the public and the worldly? And in the other it's written, if yet we please only man, we please only humans, we should not be servants of Christ, according to Luke chapter 6, 26 and Galatians chapter 1, 10. Are you only appealing to the applause of the public? Then secondly, this morning we should mark very proudly how plainly, how plainly John speaks it to his hearers about hell, about danger. Oftentimes when I get together with my um, ministerial friends, I'll do a little survey and I'll say, how frequently have you spoken of hell? How frequently have you led your congregation as a form of rededication to Christ? 
of their lostness without Christ and reminded them. Here, John the Baptist tells them that there's a wrath to come. There truly is a wrath to come. The Old Testament reminds us that if we do not warn people, the blood will be on our backs. But if we warn people, then they've been warned and we've done our job. John the Baptist speaks and tells us of a wrath, a wrath to come. And then he speaks of an axe. Can you imagine the axe? I, I grew up when, up until about 1970, when I went off to college, we did a lot of the chopping and splitting of the wood by hand. And I knew what it was like to tackle a, a pile of wood with an axe. Now, oftentimes I think back on those days when we would split wood by hand before we get the mechanical splitter. I would think of this scripture here when, when John the Baptist speaks of the axe. The very acts, A-X-E, acts of God's judgments and, and how he likened his followers as unfruitful trees being cast into the fire. Those are dangerous words, but they're telling words and they're words of instruction. Have you ever considered your life as a, a life of unfruitfulness? Do you like to, to be patted on the back all the time and and encouraged how many times we should say come Holy Spirit afflict the comforted afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted now the subject of hell is always um, offensive to human nature hell is offensive to human nature the, um, the person the minister who dwells much upon this subject must expect to find themselves regarded as sometimes very coarse, violent, unfeeling, and narrow-minded and theologically conservative. People love to hear smooth things according to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 30 verse 10 says that the majority of people like to hear smooth things and to be, to, to be told of peace. To be told of peace and, and not endangerment. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10. But the subject, the subject is one that ought not to be kept back. If we desire to do good to our souls, we should always place before us a standard that we're progressing because if we are not progressing, we are digressing. It's one that our Lord Jesus Christ brought forward frequently in his public teachings. That loving Savior who spoke so graciously of the way to heaven has also used the plainest language about the way to hell. Wide and broad is the pathway to hell, but narrow, narrow and straight is the pathway to heaven. And let us beware of being wise about that which is written and not charitable about the scripture itself. Let me say that again. Let us beware of being wise about that which is written and more charitable about the scripture itself. Let the language of John the Baptist be daily, daily, and deeply graven and written in the hearts 
of our spirits and our soul. Let us never be ashamed of our firm belief that there is a wrath. There truly is a wrath to come. Do we care for our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors about a wrath to come? As a preacher, by way of television and by way of radio, there will be held an accounting for each and every one of us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. For the impenitent, and that is possibly for the person to be lost as well as to be saved. To be silent on a subject is positively treachery. It's treacherous to the soul. It only encourages us to persevere in wickedness and, and fosters in their minds the, the devils, the devil's old delusion. And what is the delusion of the devil? Ye shall not surely die. I remember um, counseling with a lady and she said, you know, I've lived 103 years without the Lord and I think I'm going to live many years yet. Christy Luckman was probably living more by way of her name, Luckman. In one of my first pastorates in Berkeley, Minnesota, Christy Luckman lived well beyond 103 years old. I think it was almost 106 years old. And her neighbor, Bertha Wright, also lived to be 106. Bertha Wright was a real believer in the scriptures and followed the word of God. Christy Luckman, the last time I seen her, when she was in a kind of a fetal position, and I whispered into her ear and I said, Christy, are you ready to meet the Lord? And I prayed the sinner's prayer with me. But why wait, you know, some 103, almost 105, six years? To be silent on the subject is, is, is positively treachery. Treachery to the soul. It only encourages them to persevere in wickedness and, and fosters in their minds the, the devil's old delusion that ye shall not surely die. That person is surely our best friend. Our best friend is one who tells us honestly of our danger and warns us like John the Baptist to flee, to flee from the wrath to come. Never will a person flee till they see that there's a real cause. There's a real cause to be afraid. Never will that person seek heaven till they are convinced that there is a risk of their falling into hell. I remember I used to do a lot of skydiving and, and I used to think of, you know, um, the seriousness of getting on in the wing. And I never, I really never honestly thought of who packed my parachute until I got out on the wing of the plane. And I thought, man, I'm really trusting in that, in that parachute packer. My destiny. I remember on one occasion I said, you know, I'm, you didn't rush packing my chute. And he said, you know, if the first chute don't go off, just the other cord you rip, you just pull that, the other cord, and there's a backup. 
Never will one seek heaven until they are convinced that there is a risk of their falling into hell. The religion in which there is no mention, mention of hell is not the religion of John the Baptist, and to not to mention about the concept of hell is not the religion in the following of a relationship with Jesus Christ and his apostles. We should mark thirdly here, along with the two things I've already mentioned this morning, we should mark thirdly how John exposes how John exposes the uselessness, the truly uselessness of a repentance which is not accompanied by fruits in the Spirit. Does your commitment to Jesus Christ, does your commitment to Jesus Christ, is it, um, is it tend on some works of righteousness or is it the fruits of the righteousness of the Holy Spirit? How John exposes the, the uselessness of a repentance, a true godly repentance, which is not accompanied by fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and self-control and meekness, gentleness. The fruits of the Spirit in life John the Baptist said it to the multitudes who came, who came to be baptized. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. And he tells them that every tree, and he likens your life and my life, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down cut down, what kind, of, what kind of fruit are we bringing forth? Now this is a truth which should always occupy our, the prominence of our place in our Christianity. It can never be impressed on our minds too strongly that, that religious talking and, and a profession of faith is utterly worthless. It's worthless without religious doing, without religious practicing. It's a bane to say that, that our lips, that with our lips that we repent, if we do not at the same time repent in our lives, it, it's more than vain. It will gradually sear our consciences. And that's what Romans chapter 1 and 2 says that will happen in the latter days among many Christians. They, they will serve the created rather than the create, creator. And you may find times in your life where you kind of bottom out spiritually and you're serving more the created. The created things in life and the create, creator. Say it with me this morning. Created more than the creator. It's vain to say with our lips that we repent if we do not at the same time truly repent in our lives and follow by the good fruits. It's, it's, it's more than vain. It will gradually sear our conscience and it will harden our hearts. You know, we can, God used again and again the relationship of marriage. We married here upon earth and how we treat our spouses, by how the fruits of the Spirit are regularly available in our 
shared, and he likens and comes again, is he going to find a bride? A bride, the bride of Christ, who will gradually sear our consciences and harden our hearts to say that if we that we are sorry for our sins is almost like a mere hypocrisy and mere remorse and repentance unless we show that we are really sorry, really sorry for them by giving them up. Doing. Doing is a very life blood of repentance. Tell us not merely what a person says in religion. Tell us rather what they truly do. The book of Proverbs in the 15th chapter, the 23rd verse, reminds us, tell us, tell us what he does. The talk of the lips, the talk of the lips, says Solomon, tendeth only to perjury, penury. We should mark fourthly here, along with three, three previous things I said, we should mark fourthly what, what a blow, what a blow John the Baptist strikes at the common notion that connection with godly people can save our lives. There are many people today, and I oftentimes talk to people, and they say, well, you know, my grandfather was a, a minister. And I think of, how does that help your Christian walk? We find John the Baptist reminding the people here, begin not to say, begin not to say that he tells the Jews, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these very stones to raise up children unto Abraham. The stronghold that this notion has obtained is the, is the very heart of some many Christians when you ask them about their children or their grandchildren, if they've made virtual commitments to Jesus Christ, as though um, God has grandchildren or God has great-grandchildren. No, God only has children. Each and every one of us needs to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ ourselves. The strong hold that this notion has obtained on the human heart of humans is is part of the world, it's, it's affecting the proof of our fallen and our corrupt condition. Thousands, <clears throat> thousands have been found in every age of the church. Those by way of television or by radio or podcast can attest to this, who believed, who falsely believed that some sense of connection with godly people it made them acceptable in the sight of God. I've been with people and it's almost like they, they think it's um, just really wonderful if, um, if they're friends with me. And I consider that an honor, but I always remind them you need to be a friend with Jesus. It's Jesus. I want to, I'm so thankful that my grandmother made me speak of made a decision for Jesus Christ and she was the one that took me to church. But even at times my grandmother and I can remember um, my grandmother saying um, her her um, 
roommate at the nursing home was a Miss, Mrs. Gordon Johnson. And Mrs. Gordon Johnson, Johnson was the um, grandmother of the Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. And I remember my, um, my grandmother having a conversation with the grandmother Tom Brady, and grandmother Tom Brady said, my grandson is a famous quarterback for the Patriots. And my grandmother spoke up, and she went and almost coughed up by saying, but my grandson is a Methodist minister. And I had to kind of correct my grandmother by saying that, you know, maybe by the world standards, you know, Tom Brady is well on his way. And I, that was before I heard about Tom Brady's wife um, into the modern-day progressive Baal worship. She's involved in. And Tom gave the testimony of how he would always win games when his, he could look at his wife, and his wife was moving tarot cards and using all of the witchcraft at the time. And she could say, white magic, white magic. Thousands have lived and died in this blind delusion that because they were allied to some holy people by some ties of blood or church membership that they might themselves hope to be saved. Let it be a satisfied principle with us that saving, saving religion is, is, um, is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. It, it's, it's a business between each one's own soul and Jesus Christ. It will profit us nothing at the last day if we have belonged to the Church of Luther, or Calvin, or Craner, or Knox, or Owen, or Wesley, or Whitfield, and the founders of the church, had we not the faith in Jesus Christ ourselves? I remember John Wesley in many of his writings saying that, I hope you claim not to be a follower of the sect, or necessarily the follower of the cell or the follower of the method and then that's how Methodism stuck but did you be a follower of Jesus Christ I remember once um, a former governor in Minnesota Carl Rovac had a cabin up not too far from one of our churches up in Deer River Carl was a we could come and use our church basement for AA. And um, Carl was in the hospital and he requested me to come up and make a pastoral call. And I, I said to Carl, I said to Carl, um, I, Carl, are you ready to meet the Lord? And Carl said, you know, I, I want you to know that I was a governor of Minnesota. And then I later went on to be the ambassador to Iceland. And, and I said, but Carl, are you saying and I still remember Carl saying, but I'm a good Lutheran. I'm a good Lutheran. And I, I said, Carl, I'm not asking you about your religious denomination. I'm asking you about your commitment to Jesus Christ. And he said to me, he said to me, do you know how many times I, I spoke to Nixon and the Kennedys? And I said, Carl, I'm just asking you the plain truth of if today you die, 
how would you answer your maker? It better be by that you made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that you truly repented of your sins and that you're bearing fruits of righteousness. These will be the very points in which our salvation will turn. It will save no person to have had Abraham's blood in their veins if they did not possess Abraham's faith and do Abraham's works. And we should remark lastly in this passage, and I could say so much more, but we can't got to kind of get all of this in within 25 minutes because television is a radio. Today, many of you will be hearing a second message if we have time. We should remark, lastly in this passage, that the searching, the searching test of sincerity, the sincerity which John applied to the consciences of the various classes who, who came to his baptism. He, um, he bade each person who made this profession of repentance to begin by breaking off from those sins which specifically beset them. He said to the selfish, the selfish multitudes, what must he show along with his common charity to all? And he said to the publicans, the publicans must do no violence to no one, and they must be content with their wages. He did not mean that by so doing they would atone for their sins and made their peace with God. But he did mean that, that by so doing, they would prove their repentance. They would prove their repentance be sincere. Now, I've met many people in life that have been very sincere, but they've been sincerely wrong, according to scripture and tradition and reason and experience. Many cults. I am um, still bothered, and I had a hard time sleeping last night because um, I watched a, a true documentary. Ted Bundy, and how he um, perpetuated the, the thought among his family and so many of his associates because he seemed to be so clever and so sly. And he always claimed his innocence until he was on death row. And then he confessed to some 35 murders of very sincere and naive people. Let us care. And let us say that passage with a, a deep sense of conviction of the wisdom of his mode of dealing with souls. And especially with the souls of those who are beginning to make a profession of faith. Now I do realize that, and, and I don't know if it's that I grew up in a rural area and I, I consider myself to be um, somewhat talented, but I realized that when I left the small Todd County, a sense of shelteredness, and that I was very naive. I've been taken advantage of many times. 
by the world, and above all, let us see here the right way to prove our own hearts. It must not be content for us to cry out, to cry, to cry out to the sins to which by natural temptation we are, we are not inclined, which we deal gently with the sins of different characters. Let us find out our own, our own peculiar corruptions. Let us know our own besetting sins. And against them, let us direct our principal efforts. With those, let us wage that unceasing war. Let the rich break off from the rich man's sins and the poor from the sins of the poor. Let the young give up the sins of the youth and, and the old the sins of age. And this is the first step towards proving that, that we are earnest when we first begin to feel, feel about our souls. Are, are we real? Are we sincere? Then let's begin by looking at home and, and, and looking within. Now many of you have been seated for quite a period of time and I want you to stand with me as we close this part of the service and if you would please stand with me for a word of prayer. Father, as we stand this morning, we're standing on the promises of God. Let us look at our hearts and our deep convictions of the wisdom of God's Holy Spirit, especially with the souls of those who are beginning to make a profession of religion, and those by way of radio or television. They, they need to ask themselves, is there some area of their life that um, they need to deal with in patience, or maybe their priorities in life are somewhat their besetting sin. And let us not be content to cry out against sins to which by our natural temperament we are not inclined, but let us deal gently with, our, with the sins of others that may be setting them. Let us find out our own peculiar corruptions. Let us know our own besetting sins, and against them let us direct our, our principal efforts. With every head bowed and every eye closed, may we say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, search our hearts, our lives, our souls and spirits. Forgive us, O Lord, when we've not been led spiritually by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. And Mike, would you come and share this time with us, please? And you'll notice that we haven't had much music. In fact, no music, because we don't have um, any. Um, and Mike's going to dedicate this message. You may be seated to um, Margie Carlson's birthday today. Yes, Mike. You know how many years? Is it? I think it's part of Okay, okay. <laughs> Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Randy, today the sermon mentioned hell. That's not a very popular word. You know what? Not many churches even preach it anymore. Because hell's a bummer, a downer. But you know what? <laughs> 
It should be mentioned. Because the wonderful thing about hell is it reflects to us the power and majesty of the Lord's grace. If you don't have any faith in the word of Jesus Christ, that's where you go. So we don't want to talk about that. That's a bummer. No, no, no. It should be preached. Hell was created for the people that do not have faith in Jesus Christ. It's all that much more important. First, we've seen our scripture today that John the Baptist, the guy who baptized Jesus himself, was speaking. He started out his, his talk with, by calling them a brood of vipers. He was not to make friends and influence people. Brood of vipers means he was calling them a group of venomous or poisonous snakes. And this was to remind them that their external appearance of religiosity and religiousness only led to one thing, death. He followed that basking who would warn them that there was a disaster coming for them. That reminds me of God's warning or question of somebody. Who told you that you were naked? Goes right back to Genesis. John saw that the religion they had, based on their ethnic, religious, and cultural standards, only led to one place hell. It was useless. He also indicated that displaying a genuine relationship with God and Abraham in how they lived and acted resulted in one thing grace. The Lord's majestic, wonderful, awesome grace. Anything else was completely, utterly, and totally meaningless. They claimed a relationship with Abraham. But they left out the main parts of, of Abraham's purpose and journey, his faith. But he was kind of challenging Adam to listen to his reason, reasoning. But he told him, you know what? God can raise descendants of, descendants of Abraham from these very stones. In verse 9, he told him, that one thing matters to God. That is bearing good fruit. Only by faith can they claim or lay hold to an actual relationship with Abraham. Verse 9 continues on saying that if they're not bearing godly fruit, that only leads to God's wrath or judgment. That was probably the most severe and honest warning that he could give them. Verse 10 indicates that Adam was recognizing and listening to him, which is a good thing. They were listening to what he was preaching. So they asked him, what shall we do? John hit their, hit their corrupt nature directly on the head. He said, collect no more money than you're appointed to they were known for corruption and stealing more money than they wanted. And he stressed honesty. 
one of several or many scriptures in the Bible that speak of honesty. Do you know why it speaks of honesty? Because it takes away the sin of personal greed. If you're not honest and you want to keep all your stuff that you get, all the earthly possessions, you're probably not honest. That is what he was speaking of. He said, if you want to claim a relationship with Abraham, first of all, claim his faith, and then claim honestly to people. And be honest with them. Finally, in verse 14, the Roman soldiers that were listening to him, you know what? They were tools of the evil Roman government. They would take personal possessions and kill people. He did have one thing to say to them. He said, rob, rob no one by violence or false accusation. And be content with your wages. In other words, don't break into homes and steal more. Be happy with what you have. A final note to all my Christian brothers and sisters out there listening to me. We are under grace. We are under God's awesome, majestic grace. Which means we're going to heaven. And now, that grace does not completely exempt us from judge, getting judged by God. Of course it keeps us out of hell. When God looks at us in our lives, as he does for all of us, he considers when we use his word, spread his word, what we did with our possessions, how we created, how we acted as Christians, as his sons and daughters. When we get up to heaven, we will receive crowns and rewards from Father God. Based on one thing, our faith here on earth and how we played that out to others. Remember, when we stand before God, we will be honored for what we did here on earth. And we will experience this awesome, transforming grace. The old will be gone. The old earthly stuff, left on earth. But we will stand in front of the majestic, the glorious, the awesome God and His Son and achieve perfection in our hearts and our lives for eternity. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Rabbi, would you like to make your way up and share? Um, thanks again, Mike. Amen. Such a passion there. We um, also want to call your attention to many birthdays and anniversaries that are listed in the bulletin. And um, we'll probably want to um, re renew those names next week in the bulletin, Chris. We want to make sure that you honor those names. Um, Gary and Kathy wanted to be here today, but they're kind of digging out this morning, too. And, um, and is it actually this week? It's March. 
I can't get her name once in the bulletin, that's not okay. So, um, and Henry Smith. And Rabbi, along with the things that you're coming and sharing, you might want to share what's going to be going on here at Paul of the United Methodist Church during um, the Holy Week. And that later, we're going to just open it up to the community and have it. First of all, I'd just like to uh, say that Rabbi Pastor asked me to share testimonies today with God. With what he was saying in his sermon, you know, the Holy Spirit changed my message a little bit. We were talking earlier about having a Passover meal here, a Seder. Many people in the Christian church said, why should we do a Passover? Why should we keep any of the Jewish feasts? You know what? They are not Jewish feasts. It says in Leviticus 23, every Bible I've ever had. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, the appointed feasts of the Lord. Not of the Jews, but of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed feasts are these. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm just going to move on through the Passover meal. What is the Passover? What do we celebrate on Passover? The deliverance of the Jewish people from Egypt. Miracle after miracle took place. Taking your mind there. They were to sacrifice the lamb. Put the blood of that lamb on their doorposts. And then the death angel that came through that night, who was God himself, passed them over where every other firstborn in the country was killed. That's a pretty drastic move. But God has done that in the past, more than that. So he says, take a lamb. Kill the lamb, put the blood over the doorposts of your home, and eat that lamb completely that night, you and those in your household, and any strangers who want to come in with you. Share the meal with them, but don't leave anything till morning. Whatever's left over, Burn. So you have the sacrificial offering and all that. When we go to Passover, what is the first thing we do? We come together as one. Yeshua, throughout the New Testament, talks about when he takes it, goes into those Passover meals. He stands up in front of everybody and he blesses the bread and the wine. But that's just a very small part of the entire Passover meal. The Seder means the offering. 
for this sacrifice. And in doing so, we remember his death. His death on the cross and miracles that God has given us time after time after time, both in the churches and in the synagogues. God is always at work. Do we take the time to celebrate his feast? I made pretty much self-proclaimed Messianic rabbi when I started back in the 80s. There were very few. There was no colleges in this area or anything that would uh, cover Messianic Jewish uh, pastors or rabbis. I was ordained as a reverend when I was going to Oakville Bible College. I had already been teaching on the Jewish roots for about 10 years before I went there to college. I've gone into many, many churches. We've done many saviors. Do they have meaning for us? I want to talk about one particular savior that I was at, that I could perform. It was a two harbors mentor. That was uh, my youngest son when I first married. Was there with me, and we had almost 300 people there. We had three Baptist churches come together to celebrate the Passover. We were going through the services. We got to the point of taking a bread, which is the body of Christ, unleavened, without sin. And there's a thirst in the Bible that says that you have ought against your brother. Place your offering aside, go make it light with him. Then come back and offer your offering. My youngest son, I'm sitting up there in my robe and everything, my house, and my son is tugging at my robe. Benjamin. He's tugging there, and I, you know, I did it. Kept you was absolutely insistent. How insistent are we with you if you still look when he walks on him? He kept tugging and tugging at me. No. Finally, I said, Time out, family business. I went down and thought of Dad. He said, Dad? He says, Eric and I got to forget our bad big argument and fight. We got mad at each other. But we haven't forgiven each other. And I said, well, do it. <laughs> so right there in front of everybody. Benjamin first. There was something I'll never forget. He turned to Eric and says, Eric, will you forgive me? And the big brother Eric kind of turned to me. Don't talk to me in front of all these people. Benjamin comes back to me and he says, Yes, Eric won't forgive me. I said, Did you ask his forgiveness? He said, Yes. I said, Go ahead and take communion. It isn't the response that you receive from somebody. 
It's your act and what you do that counts. Yeshua is not looking at the response of another person. He's looking at your way that you address that person and the way you address what he has to say. The last day that we did was here over here at the Evangelical Free Church right here in Robbinsville a couple years ago. We had 80 people. It was one of the best saviors we ever had. My daughter plays violin, and we got her to play the national anthem for both the United States and Israel. Why do we keep this? Why shouldn't we be keeping these feasts? When you come to the Lord, you're grafted into the olive tree. Because the olive tree is Israel. When you're grafted in, you become an Israeli, a messianic Israeli. Those feasts are definitely for all the churches to do follow. There's several other reasons for this, for to keep these feasts, and I'll get into that. I think it takes too much time to get into them today. I can go into the shadows of the moon, how it keeps the feast, the marriage ceremony that's taking place. It's all represented in the seven feasts. Seder is a start. When you come to a Seder meal with your heart open to the Lord, you will not leave being the same as you were when you came in. Father, we just come into your presence right now. We ask the truth by radio. Uh, for on TV or not, but uh, if you are interested in attending a Seder, please contact Reverend Faber here at the United Methodist Church in Robinsdale. And I want to thank you for those at home and those here today. I'm really with that. Lord bless you and keep you. Make the space to shine upon you.